Welcome to episode number 35 of the Plant Powered Radio podcast series. On today's show from Vancouver, BC, Roy Sassano. Roy Sassano is an activist for animal liberation. A few years ago, he was aboard the Sea Shepherd's Farley Moet vessel in the Sea of Cortez on a mission to save the critically endangered vaquita porpoise and totoaba fish. Currently, Roy and three of his friends, known as the Excelsior Four, are facing 21 charges, some of them criminal charges, potentially carrying hefty prison time, in conjunction with the April 2019 Meet the Victims peaceful protest at Abbotsford's Excelsior Hog Farm, which revealed extreme animal cruelty. Thank you so much for taking the time today, Roy. I am happy to talk about this. I always like to start with knowing about people's vegan story. I don't think I know your vegan story. I'm not really sure exactly what it is myself sometimes. I know I've obviously, like many people, have been exposed to lots of uh, vegan arguments and, and uh, uh, kind of pushing that idea on me through my, through my life. At some point in, I think it was 2004, I had, I had a vegetarian moment, I guess. My family's cat had, had passed previously and on her birthday, I was just out at a restaurant with friends uh, eating a chicken burger and I was looking at this flesh after I took the first bite. And I thought about this cat and I was like, what, what is this justification here, right? In their, in their minds, you know, these animals were uh, equally capable of, of joy and suffering. And here I am just paying someone to kill one for me. So that was it for, for that. Uh, within the next couple of years, I met uh, my first vegan in the wild at work. Um, it was a seasonal job. So uh, I met him in the, in the summer when we were both vegetarian. And we were like, oh, geez, the only vegetarians here. Cool. And the next year he'd gone vegan and he said, hey, you got to watch Earthlings. And I'm like, what? What's this? So I watched Earthlings. Uh, Felt like dying for three days and then went vegan uh, that summer. So that'd be 06, I guess. And maybe more interestingly, soon after, like I guess 2010, 2011, uh, joining the Navy and going to Victoria. Uh, this is you know, previously I grew up in Edmonton. Um, and I started to meet activists there. Uh, like I knew, I knew of some activists previously, but uh, I didn't really get involved uh, until Victoria, and it's just a small thing, just leafleting and working on fighting the deer call and uh, just some street protests for the horse carriages, things like that. And then uh, that's, I think, when I found myself fully, fully committed and maybe starting to fully understand animal rights uh, as a whole, not just, not just this thing I'm doing, not just being vegan, but fully understanding, fully, fully empathizing with the plight of the animals. Kind of an unraveling, it feels like to me that, you know, we've grown up with this kind of program that says it's okay to do this. And I, and we have to tell ourselves that I think as we're doing it in order yeah. to kind of survive and, and then it's a total unraveling. It happens slowly for some, it happens really fast for others, but yeah. I was, I was one of the slower ones too. Me too. I, I, was, yeah. I was definitely, definitely slower. And which is, which is why I can definitely relate to people who are kind of into it. It's still frustrating to see that because, uh, you know, people who are moving slowly now, they have access to a lot more of this information. Um, but I don't really understand that. Well, now we have COVID is the ultimate why we should be vegan. But let's talk about um, Seaspiracy, the, the new documentary. Um, it's, it, I think even for seasoned vegans, it's, it's hard to watch and know and learn more again. We're always learning more. 
Um, I, I watched it with some distant friends. We just all hit the button at the same time and then commiserated afterwards. I think that's a really good way to do it. What was your reaction? There's obviously uh, no one likes to see, especially, you know, some, some of that really up close and personal um, contact with fishes and, you know, seeing them just treat like garbage sharks, same thing. The Taiji and, and the Pharaoh scenes, obviously like, geez, it's, you know, that's a really very personal and, and maybe it's kind of illogical, but seeing an individual like that just being killed for no reason um, is uh, maybe has more impact uh, on me, on, on most people, I'd say. Um, and oh, <laughs> the interview with the Plastic Pollution Coalition really got me worked up just seeing that, like the same kind of crap that you get from the Vancouver Aquarium from OceanWise, but having it, you know, sure it was edited, whatever, but having someone in that position express such a dismissive and deceitful attitude uh, regarding the reality of, uh, of the failure of themselves and of their organization and, and you know, basically hold a hissy fit on there. They, they complained on their own blog about the, the fact that the footage was edited, but there's nothing that, that moment should never come up. I don't care how long the interview is. Uh, you shouldn't be caught straight up lying like that and just flipping out just because you, or you're being challenged. And it's very frustrating because you see the same thing again. Like uh, uh, we've, seen, we've seen that argument from the Vancouver Aquarium on various issues. Uh, and, and we see them continuing to promote eating sea animals uh, and not even, not even saying that people have the option of not doing so. The closest they got... Uh, Ocean-wise, Vancouver Aquarium responded to sea spiracy, in fact, uh, even though they weren't targeted by them, um, they weren't named. I think for the first time I, ever, I don't think I've heard or seen anyone from the Vancouver Aquarium say that people could choose, like just, even just acknowledging the fact that there is a choice to choose to not eat these animals uh, was kind of huge to me. But of course, they still fell back on their tired old arguments um, uh, about how they don't think everybody could could stop it at once or whatever the, the kind of the kind of thing that ignores the fact that they're selling stickers to all these bougie Vancouver restaurants to certify uh, their seafood right it's just uh, uh, really really annoying but overall uh, seaspiracy really um, highlights that kind of in general the disconnect with uh, with ocean conservation groups um, most ocean conservation groups and and the big, one of the biggest if not the biggest problem that's that the oceans are facing. Uh, and highlighting that disconnect was really great. I mean, it was a very rhetorical, modern documentary, uh, which, you know, is, all, is always worth a chuckle in a way. Uh, um, but despite that, the arguments put forward, the facts that put forward were sometimes shocking. And, and obviously the footage, uh, I hope, mm-hmm. um, snapped some people out of the status quo a little bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, the cognitive dissonance, right? And we understand where we used to have that brain that wants to kind of somehow justify that, you know, it's okay what we're doing. It's it's what other people are doing. It's that in this, it's whatever they're doing, but it's not me. I don't have to take responsibility and I don't have to tell people that they have to change their choices, right? Their food choices. I don't want to infringe on people's choices. Like to see that those gears turning in people's brains is really interesting now having been vegan for so long. Why? Why is it so hard to tell people to stop eating fish? It doesn't mean they're going to do it. Why is it so hard to just recommend that? And again, the ask that we've had, and I'm not sure I can't, I obviously can't speak for the makers of the film, but it's almost like 
can you at least put that up there as an option? You know, if you're, if you're going to have a thing on your, on your website saying, here are the things you can do. Um, and one of the things is buy stuff that has our sticker on it. Then geez, like, I hope that uh, you could at least say you could also just not eat this stuff. Right. Yeah. I think it has to do with funding, you know, that's really what the, the seaspiracy, cowspiracy, what the hell, they all kind of revealed that connection to funding and how that affects the messaging. Yeah. And I think what it really revealed for me is just how do we know what they're doing out there on the oceans, right? And as part of Sea Shepherd, you know, that was your job, right, was to go out and try to find these um, fishers. And as I recall, you, you mentioned that the porpoise was critically endangered at that time. I'm wondering what's the status of the porpoise now? And if I'm remembering correctly, that it, it was considered bycatch was the problem, that they weren't actually fish, overfishing that particular species, but it was just part of some other fishing operation. That's right. So the poachers in uh, Sea Cortez, Mexico, uh, were targeting the totoaba, big fish that had become valuable because uh, someone had convinced people in China that their swim bladders are magical in some way. And so it became this, uh, and totoaba, again, are also critically endangered. The difference with them is that they're, you know, their numbers are, they're talking in the thousands, where the vaquita are in the, possibly the single digits, you know. At the time I was there, uh, they thought maybe a hundred, between 50 and a hundred left and the low estimate by the time we were done, or at least the next year was, was in the, like maybe 30. Obviously it's, it's a very bad situation for the vaquita, but the poachers are going after the totoaba. They would throw the gill nets and leave them, leave them in the water. Totoaba would get caught, vaquita would get caught. Uh, actually, to be honest, everything gets caught in, the, in those nets. I guess the way that the, the net is poles and the net are spaced out is ideal for catching the totoaba by the gills. And it's a good size for catching vaquita by the head. But, uh, you know, when we're pulling them out of the water, it's not as if uh, you get tons of different species stuck in there. Uh, everything, everything from crabs to, uh, to humpback whales. We're getting caught in these nets, sea turtles, you know, every, any species you could, you could imagine be there getting caught in these nets and they're going after one. Not to say that I'm okay with that one, but uh, bycatch is a huge problem. And when it's bycatch on top of a species that's already endangered and, and protected, then I, I guess it just adds a whole extra le level of, uh, uh, of shittiness to the whole thing. And who's watching? You know, even if there are laws about what you can catch and what you can't, who, who's watching, right? So Yeah, for a long time, no one was watching, you know, and then... Uh, uh, probably a little bit too late, you know, you get Greenpeace going out there to observe, you get Sea Shepherd going out there to observe, and then uh, all, all of a sudden you get all this media attention. This is something to keep in mind for activism in general. All of a sudden there's media attention. Like, oh, what are Sea Shepherd and Greenpeace doing out here? Why are they causing so much trouble? Why are, you know, uh, what's, what's the big fuss? And then media comes in and they, you know, next thing you know, you're on CNN and, uh, and then President Obama is talking to Mexico and saying, hey, you got to do something about this. <laughs> and, it's, uh, and a little bit late, but um, it does say something about what you can do as an activist to highlight a problem, even if you might not feel you're able, you're doing much good out there. Sometimes you'll be surprised at who picks up a story and, and then the world starts paying attention.
awesome transition into the story of the Excelsior Four. So it was April 2019, and this was a, sort of a, a surprise to many of us that we didn't know that this was being planned even. Suddenly it was on the news, it made big news. Can you talk us through what happened that day, Roy? How many people were involved? Um, what did you guys witness there? There were about 200 activists involved in that action total, uh, approximately like 160 uh, lined the streets outside of Excelsior Hog Farm in Abbotsford, BC. Pretty standard uh, street protest. It, this is in response to some footage that had come out the week before. It was released by CTV and PETA and I'm sure a bunch of other outlets that showed um, distressed pigs and piglets from inside Excelsior. Uh, a lot of them had all sorts of growths and, and uh, there's lots of evidence of neglect. Uh, the place didn't look like it had ever been cleaned. There were pigs that appeared to have just been left to suffer and die for who knows how long. There were approximately, uh, I think, 35, 40 people who walked onto the property and got a glimpse of everything from the outside. First off, you know, just dumpsters filled with corpses. Um, mm. These are the animals who were neglected and died or who uh, the farm workers killed. Their bodies, I guess, uh, wouldn't, uh, wouldn't have been profitable for them. And just thrown in dumpsters like garbage. Uh, and once a group of people um, got inside, then they got to see for themselves. Uh, now, the one main thing that people witnessed inside was the uh, gestation crates and, and the farrowing crates. Uh, the gestation crates being the very restrictive cages that uh, they put mother pigs in uh, prior to their giving birth, where they pretty much cannot move. They might be able to take a step forward and backwards maybe kind of lie down. Gestation crates are designed the same way, but they're able to lie down so that they can nurse piglets. Uh, and this is their lives for months and months on end. And people got to see that. They saw, obviously, many who were in, in distress. Uh, one who, uh, it's, hard to, it's hard to think of any other way that she got uh, cut up and, and bloodied like that other than some sort of abuse. But either way, she was just uh, sitting there in a gestation crate bleeding, battered, and there's no sign of veterinary care, even, even when there are vets on site, uh, you know, begging them to, to attend to her. Um, they didn't seem really interested in that. They were very concerned about, uh, about what the cameras were showing more than anything else and, and more concerned about getting us out. During the time where people were going in, the owners came barreling down in the barns where, where uh, people were going in, in their truck and started pushing people out and, you know, blockading the, the whole entrance. And I think it was like 15 people, including me, were, were uh, walking the perimeter after that. Some people still got in afterwards, but uh, walking the perimeter and mostly documenting things through windows um, where you could, you could still see uh, the animals, uh, you know, just living, living a life that I, I wouldn't wish on anyone. Um, even just through the windows outside, you could, you could see it. And so of these 250 approximate people... Uh, uh, about 200 total. Uh, okay. How, how, how many, and then four of you have been selected as the scapegoats, I guess, for, for this. And so, so after the, the day of collecting all this information, did the police show, they, they showed up that same day, I'm guessing then, did they and charge you then? Or how did that happen? Um, on that day, once all said and done, I think there were about 50 people who were inside and all were placed under arrest. Basically, this is, uh, you know, 
that point is kind of police negotiation. We got the media in to do the tour. Amy Serrano actually got to observe that personally. She was not allowed to speak during that media tour. She wasn't allowed to ask any questions or, or draw attention to anything. Um, so it was very controlled and, and the farmers tried to make it look as good as they could. Even then, it was a little bit disturbing what the media saw. Afterwards, um, you know, uh, in accordance with the agreement, uh, that the activists had with the with the police and and the owners, everybody inside was placed you know under arrest, mass arrest, and then released on the spot, except for Amy. At that point, they they took Amy Amy away, seized her phone, and took her to the police station, and, and then ultimately she was released that same day. As for uh, the rest of us, uh, Nick and Jeff, as as far as the charges go, we all just uh, I think Amy Amy and Nick were served by the their local police jeff and i just kind of found out from uh some, someone had, had t- taken a look at the uh, bc courts website and said hey look you have a court appearance what? <laughs> and uh and so we were, we were expecting something to come in the mail or something but uh i didn't, definitely didn't get any anything in the mail but uh at this point um i quickly had actually an activist lawyer um uh, Lois Salmon quickly, uh, uh, she, did, she didn't take me on, but she, she helped. Uh, uh, I'm not sure if it, what it counts as legally, but she, she uh, contacted them and just said, okay, uh, Roy knows about this. Uh, were you planning on sending something? And either way, they never, they never bothered to follow up on that. Well, that's weird. I mean, what if you hadn't, what if somebody hadn't noticed that your name was there? Then, then you would be charged with extra stuff, it seems it, like. It, it seemed, yeah, it's, uh, it was kind of interesting how that, how that played out. So I think there's a chance that uh, uh, maybe they just threw, they're planning to just throw a warrant out there. I, I'm not really sure. <laughs> um, that seems a bit shady for sure. Yeah, but yeah. In, in, in the end, since, uh, since we contacted the court to say, Hey, we saw this. Uh, so I guess we're showing up. Okay. So they, they didn't bother following up. COVID has raised this kind of this awareness of biosecurity now. And so I'm wondering if, did you guys take any precautions regarding biosecurity? And then when the farmers let the, like, what, I, what did you see regarding biosecurity? And then when they let the media in, did, were they, you know, was there biosecurity things going on then? Uh, the activists uh, took, took precautions that, I'd argue equal to or better than anything that the farmers and definitely the media and the police were required to take. So we were wearing our monkey suits, covering all everything that we had that uh, that we put on right before going in. And then uh, after leaving, we covered our footwear uh, right before entering the barn, actually. We put on those booties to, to reduce the amount of anything from the outside coming in and, and vice versa. For the most part, uh, you know, we even had, we had uh, dust masks on um, for the most part until the police and the work, like basically everybody else is just ignoring that. <laughs> so at that point we thought, okay, whatever. Uh, I guess we don't, uh, don't need those in here. Um, so yeah, we, and based, based on the, the hidden camera footage that came out from Excelsior, uh, they go in with street clothes. Uh, I'm hoping that they at least change shoes before they walk into the barn, but uh, we don't have any way to tell whether or not they did. But, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm guessing that their protocols would require them to change clothes before going in and leaving. And, uh, and, you know, we went a little bit of an extra step there 
compared to what the workers do, compared to what uh, the they were the farmers required the police and the media to do. Yeah, interesting. Uh, and you know, I'd, I'd like to say just on biosecurity in general, it's um, it's definitely a concern. And you know, as activists going into these places and a lot of lot of situations, you want to be careful to uh, do what you can uh, to reduce the chances of uh, of transmitting anything, right? But activists are in there for usually you're talking as far as ag gag laws goes, you're talking about minutes at a time of not close contact with, with animals, right? The workers are in there day in, day out for hours and hours and hours at a time. And then they go out into the world, right? So if we're, we're genuinely concerned, this is a message for the BC government, uh, Lana Popman in particular, uh, the Minister of Agriculture, who's uh, drafting ag gag le- legislation in BC. If you're genuinely concerned about ag gag, and also I guess uh, in the federal government as well, if you're genuinely concerned about uh, activists uh, and and biosecurity, then one, you need to make biosecurity measures 100% mandatory because it isn't um, right now. We have industry guidelines, recommendations. There there are standards, but uh, you know, they can't be charged for, for not changing their shoes or whatever. Uh, so it's, it's, that's one thing there. You need, to, you need to clamp down on the people who are in there day in, day out. And you need to actually re-examine what you're doing with having these industries where you have all these animals in cramped quarters, filthy conditions, and having people working with them closely. It's, it's, a, it's a, another reason why we should be working towards outlawing factory farming at the very least, as far as animal farming goes. Yeah, and it's another situation of who's watching, right? From what I understand, there's really no legislation federally or provincially. Um, The laws are really lax, like what kind of treatment, even under normal circumstances, the the gestation crates are legal. For now, and and the industry is really dragging their heels on any reform on that. Um, there, There is reform coming to have you know, bigger, uh, bigger crates for the animals. Uh, but even, even that it, it's still brutal, but even that they're, they're delaying. It's supposed to be, uh, it's supposed to be coming in, um, in just a few years. Sorry, it might've been bef- earlier than that, but either way, the industry is pushing back for, for more delays on, on bringing that in. I mean, it, it costs, costs too much to change things, right? Wow. I remember, um, when I was speaking with Jeff, who's one of the Excelsior four, and he did undercover work for many years on, uh, on many different farms, I'm, I'm guessing. And he, he was speaking about biosecurity and he said, you know, there's even trucks, like they drive their trucks from one farm to the other. And we know now we know that COVID and other infectious diseases have come from these animal farms, um, probably through the workers. And then now we know that workers can get infected and, and, and it can transmit back into various animals like the mink and then come back uh, in the variants. So meanwhile, Lana Popham, did you say, I I know about the federal bill that um, there's a lot of activity, um, a lot of NDP members of parliament have voted in favor of this ag gag legislation, which is couched in language to make it sound like it's protecting the animals. It's called the um, an act to, to amend the health of animals, but it's really about ag gag. Okay, so you've got 21 charges against you, even before any ag gag, which is, you know, designed to stop this sort of investigation or frighten people away from doing these kind of investigation. There's already, there's 21 charges already on the books that they're trying to slam you with. And now you're telling me that Lana Popham is 
designing more egg egg legislation i did not know about that in bc yeah it's uh we're waiting for some more information on this but uh through some freedom of information the attorney general said that amendments to the trespass act are being led by the minister ministry of agriculture and there were there was lobbying from the bc agriculture council and the bc chicken growers association uh, they're lobbying all sorts of uh, government officials for ag-gag legislation. The last correspondence they had that, uh, that I know of with the Ministry of Agriculture was, I believe, in September 2020, saying that they haven't seen anything as far as legislation uh, goes to help them. But sometime between then and now, I guess, uh, I guess we have word that the Ministry of Agriculture is uh, leading the amendments to the Trespass Act, as it says, um, to uh, basically bring ag-gag to, to BC. We don't know how far it's going to go, but, uh, uh, but it's definitely something they're working on. So that's the NDP. And I know the NDP are logging the forest mostly because of union pressure from unions and this whole, this old, old idea of that you can only have jobs cutting down forests. I guess they don't have the imagination to, to think of jobs doing ecotourism or that sort of thing, or actually protecting the forest. Is it similar with the workers of um, farmers? Are they unionized? Is that where the pressure is coming from? As, as far as I own, they're not. I just think it's uh, agriculture and especially animal agriculture is, is just powerful. They're good at lobbying. They really know how to lobby governments to, to get what they want. And they have tons of leverage because when you use the word farmers to the public, they have a certain image, a very positive image. And, and in a lot of cases, rightfully so. But the farmers who breed and brutalize and kill animals, they get lumped in with all of the people who really uh, do the work that, uh, that benefits society. And it seems that most of the lobbying has to do with them. Obviously, as a community, they, they, don't, they would want to kind of stick together and mo- mostly wouldn't want to throw each other like, under the bus on that. So I, I think that uh, solidarity has given them like, just a, a powerful, powerful voice when it comes to public uh, elected officials. Hmm. Well, and there's subsidies, right, going from government to to prop up these industries. The, the farm they give money to farmers, but as you say, that could be organic, plant-based farmers. That could be veganic farmers. It could and, be just conventional farmers, big farmers, little farmers. And there's there's subsidies that I see going to places that I agree with for sure. You know, there's not too long ago a huge investment in uh, in pulses and peas and. Uh, and in oats, you know, because of, uh, for several reasons, one, because of plant-based uh, meat alternatives, because of plant milks, uh, because it's such a growing thing, uh, the government is helping to kind of jumpstart that kind of thing. But there's the ongoing, the institutional, historic uh, connections to help uh, the meat industry stay competitive, or uh, I guess to, to help, the, help them keep their, their prices within the reach of, of Canadians, just using, using Canadians tax dollars to make sure that, that the consumer at the end doesn't bear the full cost that they, that they can see, right? It's kind of uh, deceptive, obviously. Right. Maybe, maybe the biggest example we can see, and the, the word subsidy, you'll see the industry not use the word subsidy. And, and I think legally they're correct. I think there's like certain distinctions you can make a difference between a subsidy and a, and a grant or a investment, you know, all these different things, words that uh, government and government officials use and the industry uses. Uh, but one huge one that's in the news quite frequently um, is with the dairy industry, right? Supply management sounds like nothing. Yeah, it's basically the, it's not money necessarily directly 
to the industries. It's money used to fund a, uh, a program to help the industry stay competitive, to prevent competition from, from foreign markets, uh, basically to, to keep the price of their products in the right area so that Canadians can afford it, but that they make enough money. And the, the industries, the, the farmers involved in supply management uh, make way more than the average Canadian does in income. So there's a lot of pressure from different, different groups. This is where right. kind, of, kind of the interests of uh, vegans and animal activists sometimes align with people we normally wouldn't want to align with because it's a, it's a program that the government spends tax dollars on to help wealthy or at least people making well above the average income stay in that uh, wealthy or average income uh, position and have fewer barriers to, uh, to their business. It's, it, you know, it's, it's uh, artificially helping them stay very, very profitable. A lot of parallels to what goes on with oil and gas, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And we know that the divestment campaigns that environmentalists have launched, you know, to get universities to, to remove their investments from oil and gas and other organizations ha- have been quite successful. The divestment uh, movement for that is quite successful. And we should definitely be doing that as well, I think, with, with this. Now, it occurs to me also that there's a little bit of a difference here because when people are lobbying the government, you know, that just basically means they go, they meet with their officials. Any of us can do that. We can all set up meetings, you know, we can try at least to set up meetings with our elected officials. But when Big Egg goes in and talks to their elected officials, the chances are that their elected officials, our elected officials that they're talking to are consumers of their product. So it's kind of a conflict of interest in a way. Yeah. You know? I, I always, right? it's, it's kind of something that, uh, occurred to me, and I'm sure that people have thought of this for decades, is it's, it's funny when you make this, these arguments uh, regarding animal rights versus people who slaughter animals, the only neutral party would be, I guess, vegans, people who neither profit from the slaughter of animals, and nor do we enjoy those products, right? Uh, whereas people, the general public would think of, of the vegan as, as someone who's biased in these issues. Uh, where it's kind of the opposite, where the vegans are the only ones who don't make money from it, you don't enjoy the products, everybody else is biased, everybody else has a conflict of interest. If you if you consume animal products, then you are biased. And, right. and it's funny, you'll, you'll, you'll never, uh, you'll never see people, you know, people see the, the typical person, the person who eats meat as, as the, the unbiased one, whereas the vegans are biased, but it's kind of the opposite. Right. We're, we're the biased ones. Yeah, for sure. And we're the ones trying to program everybody into doing something. So this is a good reason why we need to elect vegan people to our, all levels of government. And uh, it's interesting with the federal egg egg bill, C-205, that it has passed second reading, but the liberals didn't vote for it. It was a conservative <laughs> and the NDP. And there is one liberal that we know of, Nathaniel Erskine Smith, is it? Yeah, yeah. He's a vegan. And I'll bet that had something to do with that, right? I think there's a good chance. I, I think he's he might be quite well respected within the party. Uh, and I mean, that's, that's where the things fell. And I look, you look at that, you know, I saw the uh, article from Animal Protection Party showing the, you know, when they linked the breakdown of votes, I'm like, are you kidding me? What? I'm glad that the Conservatives didn't win the last two elections, whatever. But the Liberals are obviously, I think you and I both have very, very serious uh, 
complaints about them, very serious criticisms about them. And yet they've helped push through animal protection laws that we never would have had from, you know, we never would have dreamed would happen. And they're opposing AgGag for their own, maybe for their own reasons, but, you know, at least they didn't succumb to whatever pressure the NDP succumbed to, to support these bills. It's mind boggling sometimes. And I guess it just kind of shows that uh, how complicated uh, politics can get sometimes. I, you know, based, based on, on AgGag, I, I normally wouldn't, I, I mean, I normally wouldn't want to endorse any of the political parties, even the Green Party, I, I wouldn't really want to endorse normally. Um, uh, but of the major parties uh, to pick strictly from, uh, from an animal rights perspective, okay, who would have thought the Liberals might be a better choice than anyone else? I, I wouldn't have expected that to happen. Um, they got to work on their foreign policy is is uh, definitely a, a problem for me voting for them. But yeah, it's it's uh, kind of eye opening. So anybody who cares about animals who's willing to look at these videos and see what's going on with the animals would think that the government should be actively writing legislation to protect the animals and to protect all of us in terms of biosecurity and to hire people to inspect these so-called farms. But none of that is happening. They're busy writing extra laws when already there are 21 charges. So let's get back to the courtroom now. So you've you've gone to court and you've all said that you're not guilty. And now it must be very stressful, this. It's been going on since 2019. <laughs> How long are you going to have to wait? And what, what exactly are you waiting for at this point? Uh, right now, there's a lot of things that were coming into place. Now the Crown kind of had to decide what direction they're going with this a lot of back and forth between them and, and our lawyers. Uh, we had have to make some decisions, uh, both regard and we, we, you know, we didn't finalize our legal team till quite recently even. So there's, there's a lot of things that happened on, on our end that would have delayed things anyway, even though the court is already delaying things. They have to schedule, if you have to figure out a way to schedule this long jury trial in the BC Supreme Court during a pandemic. Mm. Um, so there's, there's that. But, uh, but at this point now, uh, I, think, I think everybody's ready to, to schedule this. We're expecting it probably not this year. We need to go to trial next year now. You know, we, we've looked through the evidence that the, the Crown has provided to us. Lawyers are talking all sorts of different, uh, different strategies. We're finding interesting things. Obviously, in that, in that evidence, there'll be a lot of um, uh, police notes, police reports, statements from uh, the owners of Excelsior Hog Farm, uh, statements from the SPCA, from the from their vets, and we're just going. Oh, geez, this is you know. Uh, I, I wish we could just you know sh- just show that to the world right now, and and say, um, look at this, look at this, look at this dirty, dirty industry. Uh, look at uh, look at how they seem to be. I mean, I don't want to say that the the police are helping them, but I mean, it kind of. Kind of looks that way, and we—I'd love to let people see for themselves and, and may come to their own conclusions on that. And I'm looking forward to court because hopefully through that process we'll be able to point these things out. So, have you been able to show any footage yet? I think the media did some, and then it's on YouTube. But within the courtroom, were you able to show any of it? I uh, know we haven't had any actual court sessions. We've had court dates where you go in, you basically confirm that you understand your charges, uh, and then you go in again and you say not guilty. Uh, and so there's, there's all these dates that come up and uh, mostly it's, it's just technical things between the, the court and the, and the lawyers just sorting out where we are 
when the next date is. And hopefully we, we think uh, this month, uh, we were hoping last month, but maybe this, this month we'll actually get the trial date set. Uh, so we'll know exactly when it's all going down. When I was speaking with Malcolm um, in Ontario regarding the mink trial, he was saying that their strategy was to go with a judge uh, verdict rather than a jury verdict, because then she would, she or he would have to write out their reasons for their decision. And so that if it needed to go to appeal, they would have that information. You guys have chosen a jury trial. Do you know the logic there? Uh, a couple things, but the the main thing is that uh, with a jury trial, trial like looking at uh, looking at the reasons um, why things turned out the way they did, like what what the content of the footage, and being able to point out that not only is it is there animal cruelty, horrific animal cruelty, but there's illegal animal cruelty in there. We thought that a judge might be quick to dismiss that that kind of fact you know and and looks strictly at other things like where did the police say you were what did they say you did and and that's it right 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 um whereas and you saw, saw a little bit of this in malcolm's trial too because so it's, so it's not too completely dissimilar but we thought that uh having having a jury they'd be more likely to i guess consider the whole thing like with their with their the whole of their humanity what's just, what's, uh, what's right, what's wrong. Um, and would they, they would be more open to listening to the arguments regarding the cruelty and the criminal cruelty uh, that Excelsior Hog Farm was involved in. Keep that in mind when deciding if uh, people who help expose that cruelty should be guilty of the charges that, uh, uh, that they put down. So when you guys went and talked to the uh, BCSPCA, it's a bit of a story, I, I guess. So somebody reported so, something and then the BCSPCA was slow to respond. And so you guys called them on that. And during that conversation that you had with them, it was revealed that the reason that they, they couldn't act on the footage that was provided was because it was illegally obtained. So the footage that you guys shot on that day that will be allowed into this court trial? Uh, the footage from April 28th, uh, we don't know how much of that will be um, allowed in. As far, as far as we know, the Crown or the police are, are hesitant to get into that because they, there's a process to verify, um, verify the footage. I'm, I'm guessing that any activists who took footage there would be very happy to <laughs> verify their own footage. But uh, but we'll we'll see about that. I guess um, what they what they want to be part of the the trial. Okay. So it's so like so I guess you know we, there might be something there. The there is clearly the footage that was released through CTV and PETA prior to the event um, is going to be part of this. I think the the hidden camera footage should be should be part of it. But uh, yeah, we should know this. I mean, even people who eat animals should know what where it comes from, right? I'm happy to know where all my legumes are grown. I love to see where where those beautiful gardens where and greenhouses. Um, sorry for all this stress that you're having to live with. But I mean, this is really historical. This is unprecedented. I think this is probably the biggest animal case in Canada's history so far is it? It might be like uh, I, I hope it has the impact. I hope I hope that people will pay attention to to what happens in these places, and and I, and I hope not just for animal rights. I hope people 
can see the value there is in, in activism and, and journalism and whistleblowers and, and informants, all, all these people who take risks to help uh, expose something that's wrong in society. Um, but definitely, I, I hope that in the end, like for us, the four of us, we're, we can go to prison, whatever. They're not going to slit our throats. So we hope that people will see the plight of the animals themselves and empathize with that and, and realize that these are sentient beings who we treat like just mere property to do with what, you know, whatever we please for profit and, uh, up to and including slitting their throats. And I hope people start to really let that sink in. Right. And, and for no good reason. I mean, we know the health implications. We, we're living with COVID as a result of all of this. So just finally, um, Roy, uh, Regan Russell, you know, was struck down by a transport truck the day after Bill 156, also ag-ag legislation couched as some kind of farm protection bill, but really it's about scaring activists. It was enacted in June of last year, 2020. And the next day she was at a vigil where she stood for years. She did this activism uh, just honoring the the pigs going into the slaughterhouse inside the trucks and she was hit by a transport truck. I mean, that seems beyond coincidental and it really affected me. I must say that. And the documentary. Two documentaries. Yeah. There was a killing, I think is one of them, right? That was really for anybody, even again, if you're, even if you don't care about the animals, like they're, they're taking away civil liberties. These laws that they're imposing are, are designed to shut us up and keep us complicit and stop whistleblowers. And everybody should be concerned about that. Did, did you ever have a chance to meet Regan? I didn't have have a chance to to meet Regan. Uh, Obviously when I heard, when we all heard about her death, it was, you know, it really hit hard, right? Because, um, Here's someone who, whether it is through some kind of intentional malice or just through a lack of caring, just because it's easy. It's very clear to me that the people working in this in- these industries um, start to see activists as enemies and just as you know garbage on the road. That you know they they joke about killing us all the time, right? Uh, they think it's funny. They they start they get into this mindset that if someone is inconveniencing you in some in some way or you disagree with them then it's justifiable to kill them. Um, not in those words, of course, but, uh, you know, the, this has happened with uh, Extinction Rebellion. Um, this happens with Black Lives Matter. And it's happening with, with animal rights activists. Well, I'm thinking back to the, the war in the woods on Vancouver Island back in the 90s, where the, the, it, was, it was loggers against the environmentalists. And there was some violence that went down there. Yeah. Yeah, it's and it's clear that sadly, when, when people find their choices, their their income um, questioned in some way, ethic on ethical grounds, that the people questioning it are are bad. And if they're you know, if Regan is standing in a crosswalk, maybe not in the normal way that someone would be in a crosswalk, then I'm guessing that a lot of these drivers are just like it's fair game, you know. Hmm. Uh, I'll just keep driving here and if I happen to kill someone then so be it and uh, maybe now I hope that mindset has changed a bit I guess one thing I say a lot in because you get into arguments with these people on uh, uh, on social media is uh, if I were driving and this is me with a regular old class five you know any any normal like amateur driver you might say uh, license sees someone in a road and they might be annoying me or they might be 
not in their right mind or whatever, you know, whatever it is, I'm not going to kill them. <laughs> I'm still going to stop. And, you know, I might, th- you know, let's say, let's say they're doing it just to be jerks. I might yell out the window and say, Hey, stop being a jerk. <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not going to kill them. And I'm, I'm certainly not going to say it's justifiable to kill someone uh, for being an inconvenience on the road. Uh, whereas they are speaking as if it's justified. And I can't see how within those circles, within this industry, that kind of attitude doesn't subconsciously become real to them where they think they are justified in killing. I, I'm sure this driver, even if he didn't say, I'm going to kill someone, I'm sure part of his mind was just thinking it doesn't matter. The law passed, right? The law is there to protect. Uh... That's tough to see. Uh, and it's tough to see that the law is not really coming down very hard on this, on this person who either murdered Regan or was neglectful to the point where where he caused her death in, in a way that is unacceptable for any driver, let alone a professional. Yeah, he got off with a traffic yeah. charge, right? Yeah, for now, uh, they're, they're working on that because no one's actually seen the security footage that shows the whole incident. Huh. Um, so there might be more to come uh, on that. The, the, I hope at some point the police, at least two Regan's lawyers, will show them the full footage of what happens and then but I, th- I think they might actually have to sue to try to try to get access to that to that video. So maybe there's people listening um, who want to donate to your legal fund. I'm guessing you have uh, legal expenses here. Yeah, uh, Amy's uh, legal fund has become the Excelsior Four legal fund on on GoFundMe. There's going to be some legal expense there. Times are difficult, but if anybody would like to, you can go and go fund me and, uh, and search for the Excelsior for. Well, and it's nice to, to contribute even just a small amount and just be part of it, right? Just say, I'm, I'm, I'm on their team. You know, it's nice for you guys to know you have lots of people on oh, your team. Geez, yeah. It's one of the biggest things that came out of seeing uh, at first when it was Amy's legal fund it was the sheer number of people who are contributing, obviously it's great when, when there's to see the uh, the dollar amount go up, but the, just the number of people, the number of people who care enough to even just click on that GoFundMe and look at it, that changed everything uh, for me anyway, just thinking of the support that we have in BC and Canada and, and in a lot of cases across the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, that's that's definitely a uh, uh, one, of the, one of the best things about this whole thing is seeing how many people care Thank you so much, Roy. And, um, you know, I'll continue to follow along and see what's happening. Thoughts and prayers and all that stuff too, right? (laughs) Is there anything that you want to say before we go? I don't know if the audience is mostly already vegan, but please, if nothing else, you know, check out Seaspiracy, check out Cowspiracy, see what activists are doing. This one thing to keep clear is that animal activists, they can show you, they can produce clear evidence, clear, verifiable evidence for, for their claims. We just need society to start embracing that idea that uh, non-human animals and marginalized humans matter, have interests, and not just say that, but really understand that and see what you can do in your, in your daily life to help or at least to stop contributing to injustice uh, for all, uh, against all these beings. We, yeah, we have all we have all the evidence on our side that this is we're not supposed to be doing this. It's not good. We're dying of health health issues related to it. You know, we got a, a virus. It's- to me, the big thing is that non-human animals and all all humans included in that are sentient and have their own interests. They can suffer, and then when you can show people or even just describe to people that you know, as far as the non-human animals go, what we do, the confinement, the breeding, the slaughter. 
you know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't wish this on ourselves or anyone we care about the slightest or even people we hate. We, you know, we wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't want these things to happen to any of them. And, and the only thing that's stopping us from changing is the fact that we're currently doing it in such a, such a large degree. How, how can something that is so common, like that the majority of people participate in, how could that possibly be wrong? Right. And Mm. that's the only thing that it's justified because it exists, which is not really a, uh, mm. I'll, I'll call it illog- logical. That might be the wrong word, but it's a, it's a. I'm going to say it's an illogical justification for something. It's something existing, something being widespread and common. <laughs> doesn't doesn't tell you it's right. It's and you have all the reasons in the world to re-examine that that belief. Mm-hmm. Okay, thanks, Roy. Our guest today was Vancouver-based Roy Sasano. You can find more Plant Powered Radio by visiting us on YouTube and by subscribing to this podcast for regular updates. Please be safe and considerate towards all species. And thanks so much for listening. Compassion encircles the earth for all beings everywhere.